0: Before COVID-19 began dominating health and health policy discussions, a prominent aspect of policy debate involved the role that markets should play in creating a more efficient delivery system. Controlling the growth of healthcare spending continues to be an important challenge, and fiscal pressures on public and private payers are going to be even greater because of the pandemic. I'm Stephen Morrissey, Managing Editor of the New England Journal of Medicine, and I'm talking with Michael Chernew, a professor of healthcare policy and the director of the Healthcare Markets and Regulation Lab at Harvard Medical School. As part of the journal series on the fundamentals of U.S. health policy, Professor Chernew has written a perspective article about the role of markets in the U.S. healthcare system. Professor Chernou, can you start by explaining the benefits of markets both in healthcare and more broadly when they're working well?
1: Sure, this is uh, an important topic and I think there's decades of work that illustrates both conceptually and empirically that markets, when they're functioning well, can provide a good mechanism for allocating resources. They're very dynamic in terms of responding to new products, new information, new conditions. They can essentially convey information between buyers and sellers very efficiently across a wide, wide range of products. And while It might be nice to think that we could plan all of that out. It turns out that the economy is so complicated that while markets certainly have problems, I think we're going to talk about a ton of them, they do in many cases provide a way to create products and outcomes and services in an efficient manner.
0: You say in your perspective article that healthcare markets are more imperfect than most. So what are some of the challenges inherent in healthcare markets?
1: So Ken Arrow, a Nobel laureate, wrote about this in the 1960s. It's been well known. there are a series of problems that are um, uniquely severe. They're not unique, but they're uniquely severe in healthcare. They stem in large part from information problems where... Patients don't know what conditions they have, what diseases they have, which is obviously the reason why they go to physicians and engage the healthcare system. Patients don't know the possible treatment options, which again is why they go to physicians and engage the healthcare system. And frankly, when there are outcomes, it's hard for patients to tell if the treatment worked or if they would have gotten better or if they would have gotten sicker even without the treatment. So there's an enormous number of information problems that at their core healthcare. There's some other parts of healthcare that are unique. One of them is we care an enormous amount about the outcomes. So if you buy a meal and the meal is not very good, that's not great, but you've had one bad meal. If you have a really bad interaction with the healthcare system, the consequences can be much more severe. That's one distinction. The other distinction is in healthcare markets, there's a lot of risk. Most people don't know what medical care they're going to need in the upcoming year. And so because of the risk and because of the fiscal consequences of that risk, how much you would have to spend if you got hospitalized, for example, people buy insurance. Insurance is a central part of the healthcare care space broadly. The problem is insurance inherently shields people from the price of care. It discourages people from shopping. So in order for markets to work it's important for people to be able to shop in a range of ways and make decisions about what products they buy, what products they don't buy, weigh the price of the products what's the value of the products. That is complicated by the information problems that I was discussing and it's complicated by insurance, which shields people from the actual real prices of care. The problem with getting rid of the insurance and then making people face the real prices of care is then they face the risk which the insurance was
0: intended to mitigate
1: in the first place. And that balance Makes it hard to get healthcare markets to work efficiently.
0: Have the changes made to health insurance markets by the ACA affected competition and premiums in those markets and, and the prices of healthcare services?
1: Well, the ACA has been impactful in a whole variety of ways. And for certain subsets of folks, like the individual market, the ACA has had big impacts in terms of getting access to insurance, protecting the lower income people from the cost of that insurance. The ACA fundamentally was built on the principles of competition in the marketplaces, for example, amongst insurers. And I think in general, that type of competition works well. There's evidence that when you have more insurers competing on the exchanges, for example, premiums are lower. So the ACA has in many, many places, harnessed competition. It hasn't done a lot in terms of competition in the commercial market writ large, the employer market. um, It's made a lot of changes to Medicare, although I wouldn't consider those changes fundamentally pro-competitive. They've made other changes in terms of the way Medicare, for example, pays physicians and they've created some structures to try and be more innovative in how Medicare pays physicians, but not really harness competition per se.
0: You say in your article that efforts to improve markets for healthcare services such as those related to price transparency, incentives for desired behaviors, haven't significantly ameliorated market failures. So why do you think those strategies have had only limited success?
1: Yeah, so this has been an interest of mine for literally decades. And the core reaction of many pro-market folks, myself included, when they understand the market's failures in healthcare is to try and find ways to make markets work better. There's a lot of ways one might try and do that. Transparency is one, for example. So since you raise it, I will discuss transparency. The problem in the case of transparency seems to be that most people don't use the transparency tools. And when they do, they can be impactful on a subset of people, but many people don't follow the information. They listen to their physician. Essentially, the information problems and other structures like getting advice from your physician have been stronger than simply the transparency tools have been able to overcome. And that's one example. There are other types of, strategies to help promote competition in healthcare. They include novel benefit designs like reference pricing. Reference pricing is a benefit design which charges patients more if they go to more expensive providers. The same is true for different types of tiered network insurance products. They have had an impact where adopted. Not enormous, but they have had an impact where adopted. The problem is that employers haven't adopted them. We can discuss why they haven't been uh, as widespread as one might think. And even where they have been put in place, they are really only impactful if they're put in very strong form. And again, the tension here is that while you can try and make markets work better, the forces of information uncertainty, the forces of insurance that shield people from the prices, the inability to understand quality, the tendency to follow what your physicians say and where your physicians refer you to, all of those forces push you away from having healthcare markets work like markets for
0: shoes. So why, in fact, has there been such a slow diffusion of these other approaches to uh, promoting competition?
1: Largely because when you promote competition, inherently you have to make people face the price, and there is a lot of resistance to forcing people to face the price when you're not sure you want to drive them away from certain types of providers. For example, there are many high-priced providers that individuals still want access to. Here in Boston, we know we have many high-priced providers that provide excellent care, and people want to be able to go there, and so employers who are fundamentally trying to balance the Workforce issues, the human resources issues they have with healthcare spending, tend to shy away from really aggressively um, incenting their workers to move to different providers, for example, because they're concerned that some subset of those workers may uh, really be upset and they don't want to feel like they're engaging and pushing into the healthcare space. They really want to focus on doing whatever it is that they do. In their business. And so employers have been really hesitant to engage, for example, in creating narrow network health plans because they don't want their workers to be upset that they don't have access to a particular provider. They don't want their worker to go to a provider thinking they're covered and then get a very high bill. So when you cut providers out of the network, you run into surprise billing problems in certain parts of the country, and their workers get very upset about that, and they don't want to put their workers in that position. So there's a lot of these basic human resource concerns that have made employers shy away from adopting very strong, tiering policies. Just That to be said, there's a huge amount of work by a lot of people and a lot of employers to try and find ways to do that better. So we are moving perhaps slowly, in that direction, but it has not been a a groundswell of impactful innovation so far.
0: Finally, you say that government management of the healthcare system has its own set of inherent weaknesses and that an important question is therefore how government and markets can complement one another. So what would be the next steps for reforms that would harness the benefits of markets and the benefits of government management to create a more efficient delivery system?
1: So first let me point out Proponents of markets often compare perfectly functioning markets to imperfect functioning government, and there's an enormous number of problems. We have more time. We could probably spend hours talking about problems with government-run healthcare markets, and proponents of government-run healthcare markets often compare perfectly functioning government markets to imperfect markets that have all the problems that we were just discussing. And, of course, in reality, we have to blend imperfect markets with imperfect government. So my personal view is the role of government should be to try to find where markets are failing in the most egregious ways and fix those problems. Some of them, in my opinion, are obvious. Surprise billing, for example. Surprise billing is a situation where people think they're going to in-network hospitals, but they're getting out-of-network bills because they didn't understand that the physicians were out-of-network, even though the hospital was in-network. So you could go to an in-network emergency room thinking your treatment's going to be in-network, and all of a sudden you realize that the physicians weren't in-network, which really uh, should not happen. And I think the government has a role to prevent those types of obvious abuses. The government has a role to support antitrust, both in terms of merger activities, but also in terms of some of the contracting practices, for example. I think the government can help in a number of other ways to promote benefit design through, say, aspects of tax policy and a series of other ways that government may help markets work. But at the end of the day, government is going to have to try and get markets to work as best that it can. And because markets tend to worry about efficiency but much less about equity, I think there's a strong role for government to try and find ways to maintain equity in the healthcare system. Certainly, the Affordable Care Act tried to do that through subsidy systems. And I think the key point here is to develop subsidy systems that are as least distortive to the market as possible. One of the things where markets fail in healthcare, which is discussed in the piece that I wrote, is that insurance markets are inherently based on pooling of individuals with different risks. And if left alone, those markets may collapse because of a process known as adverse selection where the sick people gravitate to some plans and the premiums rise too rapidly. The government can play a role in encouraging and promoting that type of pooling through certain things like on the exchanges, risk adjustment, but through other types of things that you saw in the Affordable Care Act to try and encourage people to be in the market and to maintain that uh, risk pooling, which is inherent in how healthcare markets function.
0: Thank you, Professor Jernu.